Isaiah chapter 9, if you'll take uh, your, the Bible and turn this morning to Isaiah and chapter number 9. And we'll read this passage as it conveys the promise, the promise that the Savior of the world would come. And I'm excited about getting into the message here this morning. Good to see Brother Michael Harris. Brother Michael, just raise your hand right over here. It's a blessing to see him. We pray for all of our military weekly. Uh, well, we alternate on our men's prayer list. Sometimes we pray for uh, the military and then uh, for a month and then for the police officers for a month. Brother Michael has been in training uh, down in Lawton and now in San Antonio. He's on leave. Sure glad to see you, Brother Michael. It's a blessing. Thankful for that. All right. And uh, Andrew Salia's wife, Emma, is here as well. She just finished training up at Fort uh, Leonard Wood, and now they're together and going to be at Fort uh, uh, Hood. Is that right? In Colleen, Fort Hood in Colleen, Texas. Okay, did you find Isaiah 9? Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 1. Isaiah 9 and verse 1. Nevertheless, by the way, God's gracious to give us some nevertheless passages. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation. When at the first he lightly afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan. Notice this, in Galilee of the nations. You said, well, that sounds a lot like the New Testament. There's a reason. It's quoted there in Matthew. Look at this verse. This is also quoted in Matthew. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. Verse 3. Trying to think of a way to work our theme into the final sermon that I'll preach here in this year about into his harvest. Well, there's, well, it's kind of hard to preach on harvest at Christmas time, right? Different season in our minds. But notice verse three Thou hast multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before thee according to the joy in harvest. How about that? They joy according to the joy in harvest. And as men rejoice when they divide the spoil, for thou hast broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. War is a terrible thing. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. In other words, it's this, this shall all come to an end. There's a battle that's going to be fought that will end all wars. How's that going to be? Who in the world could bring such peace to the world? For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, 
the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of His government and peace, there shall be, oh, I like this, don't you, no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth, even forever. How's this going to happen? Well, notice the last part of the verse. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So this morning I'm entitling the message this, Joy is still coming to the world. Joy is still coming to the world. The righteous reign of the glorious Son of God. The righteous reign of the glorious Son of God. May God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. We're going to get right to it here this morning. Isaac Watts, who lived the late 1600s into the early 1700s, is commonly called the father of hymns. He wrote many hymns. In fact, this is interesting. As a young boy, uh, he was disappointed, listen to this, with the lack of biblical substance in the hymns that they sang. I wonder what he'd think today about modern, quote unquote, Christian music. He was concerned then about the lack of substance. So his father challenged him, well, write your own. And he did. He did. For the next four years, he wrote one a week. In all, Isaac Watts wrote more than 600 hymns, all based on Scripture. A few of his more well-known if you've been in uh, church any length of time, you would, have, you, would make, you would recognize hymns like this. Come ye that love the Lord. And on this song, how about this? When I survey the wondrous cross. And then this one. At the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light. But he also wrote this song, Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Um, the background of that song, as I understand it, <clears throat> is he was, he was an ordained preacher and a minister, but due to his health, he had to retire. And with health declining, and evidently, I don't, I don't know much about this part of the story, but, but had um, a promise of, of love that was quickly dashed by rejection, as I read and understand it. He was, uh, I mean, he was at a low point. I mean, as you might imagine, I mean, just with his health and, and a disappointment in life and a relationship and so forth. But he had a fondness with the Psalms that he had cultivated since a child. And so one of those Psalms was a Psalm that we opened up with this morning, Psalm 98. And if you paid attention to it, it talks about how that joy would spread across the world because the Lord is coming. All right? And how that the, uh, the trees would sing, and it's figurative language, it's poetic, 
the trees and the hills and the mountains would, would proclaim uh, that the Lord has come and, and he will bring just, justice and judgment. Well, there's a lot of talk about justice in the world, but I don't believe it's biblical justice that is being conveyed in the world because a lot of what's called justice today is not what the Bible refers to as justice. In fact, a lot of people that, anyways, I'm, I'm a little bit off on a rabbit trail, but while we're chasing this rabbit, let's go ahead and get it. A lot of people that that talk about justice are hypocritical because they talk about justice, but then they don't care about the unborn. But Isaac Watts, he was looking at this psalm and he saw there's coming a day when there's going to be judgment in the world. There's going to be justice in the world. And there's reason, even with all the gloom, all the despair and all that even he was going through in his own personal life, there's a reason that we can sing joy to the world. <laughs> now, this, this song is actually about the Lord's second coming when he sets up his kingdom. I'm sorry to mess up your Christmas song. But, listen, we would not have opportunity to sing joy to the world in its context if he did not come in his first coming. So I encourage you, go ahead and sing Joy to the World at this time of the, of the year and go ahead and read Psalm 98 at this time of the year because even though you've got maybe some gloomy situations around you, there's still reason to sing with joy when you know the Prince of Peace. So he wrote Joy to the World, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her King. Let every heart prepare Him room and heaven and nature sing. And heaven and nature sing. <laughs> Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills and plains repeat the sounding joy. I'm telling you, Psalm, if you look at that song, that hymn, and look at Psalm 98, it's a parallel. Very, very well done. So, can we sing this song while the Lord is not currently ruling this earth? Well, he's still king. He's still king even if man doesn't recognize it. He's still king. But I think you would agree with me today, and actually, how about we just agree with the Word of God? In 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 19, it says this, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Well, that's true, isn't it? The whole world lies in wickedness. This morning, Brother Ted taught our Sunday school lesson and did a, a wonderful job and based out of the book of Jude. And, and Jude was saying, God has judged the world in the past because of unbelief and he'll judge the world because of unbelief. We live in a wicked day. We look at live in a wicked time. I don't think I need to take time to convince you of that. I think you know that here this morning. Maybe you came here to church because you're seeking refuge from this old world of sin and, and, and wanted to hear some good news. Well, thank God there is some good news because even though verse number 19 says the whole world lieth in wickedness, here's why we can go ahead and sing with joy. In verse number 20, the very next verse in 1 John chapter 5, it says this, and we know that the Son of God is come. And hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true and we are in him that is true, even in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Uh, a man named Alan Ross said this, in spite of all the advances of civilization, the world today is still consumed with a desire for peace and a fear of war. No one would be surprised if war broke out tomorrow. Would you? Wouldn't be surprised if war broke out tomorrow. I mean, we're living in a, in a volatile time, in a volatile world, aren't we? 
we're left wondering if anyone is really interested in peace and righteousness and justice for all, or just, or if they're just securing their own interests. If you lived in the days of Isaiah, you would have said the same thing. You would have, we could have made the same statement. And if you lived in the day when Jesus was born, in the days of Herod, in the days of, uh, of Rome and what was going on, then you could have said the same thing. Man, this is, things are in a bad shape. Well, we didn't live back then. We live now and things are in a bad shape. Maybe even in your own life, things are in a bad way. Maybe there's uh, despair or a lack of hope or some, some concern or some dark days. Maybe you've had some dark days even this year and, and maybe you've been through some troublesome times and maybe you're here today because, because uh, you're concerned about how things are going to go. Well, this, this uh, part of Isaiah certainly does approach that or deal with that situation. It deals with it for all of us because really we're all sinners and we need the same help. We've got hope and help today in the Savior's birth. We're going to look at it. In fact, this morning and tonight, uh, we're looking at the two comings of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about this. I'm talking about when he came to the earth. First of all, when he was born of a virgin in, the, in uh, Bethlehem of Judea, when he was born then, then he came to the earth. But he has a promise he's coming again. And he's literally going to be up on the earth and rule and reign from Jerusalem. Now, when he comes in the rapture, he will not come completely to the earth. The Bible says we'll meet him in the air. But the book of Revelation talks about how that he comes to the earth and many other passages. In fact, there's more prophecy about his second coming than there is even about his first coming. We live in the space of time between those two comings. An opportunity for men and women to be saved, to turn to Christ for salvation. And we ought to look forward to his second coming. In fact, I'm concerned that we're not looking forward to it like we ought to. Not like we ought to. Maybe it's because we've gotten too comfortable in this old world. I like what a man named, a preacher named Vance Havner said. He said this, the early believers were not looking for something to happen. They were looking for someone to come. Jesus is coming again. In fact, when you've got a loved one that you haven't seen for a while, maybe they're getting off the airplane, you're not looking forward to the airplane getting there. You're looking forward to them getting there. Maybe the reason we're not excited about the Lord Jesus coming again is we're, we don't have our attention on the Lord Jesus like we ought to. Uh, why could we have joy and hope in a world filled with despair? Let me tell you a little bit about Isaiah's day and why some of those verses perhaps that you read, you say, I didn't really follow along with the first five verses. Uh, they're not as familiar as verses six and seven. Can I get a witness right there? That's for sure. They're not as well known as, as what verse six and seven are. But listen, if you don't understand verses one through five, you're really not going to appreciate verse six and seven like we ought to. So let's uh, do our due diligence here to understand why it was such a day of darkness, a day of gloom, a day of war, and a day of destruction in, in Isaiah's time. You see, what was going on is to the north, there was a major superpower that was, that was growing called Assyria. Assyria. 
under the leadership of a man named Tiglath Pileser. I mean, you can tell with a name like that, he's got to be pretty bad, dude. You know what I mean? Tiglath Pileser. And, and so Assyria was growing in power to the north. Well, that concerned well, three groups of people to the south, and that would be Syria under the leadership of a man named Rezin. And a man named Pekah, who was the, the king of Israel at the time. Israel and Judah were split, northern kingdom, southern kingdom. To the south, you had Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of, of Judah, and he was concerned about two problems. Everybody following along so far? Everybody, everybody awake? Come on now. I, I know it's, you came in from where it's cold. You're in here where it's warm. Thank God for the heat. But heat has a way of putting you to sleep, and I'm not going to let you sleep this morning. You can take a Sunday afternoon nap. Is that all right? That's an International Baptist nap time is Sunday afternoon, not Sunday morning. Amen. All right. So Assyria was threatening to the north and then you had Syria and then Israel. Um, yes, Israel, the nation of Israel and the northern kingdom also to the north. And here's what they did. Uh, Rezin and Pekah joined together and because they knew they needed help from what was coming from the north. Tiglath-Pileser was too bad of a dude for one of them, so they joined together, and here's what they thought. Well, we can't beat Assyria to the north, but I'll tell you what we can do. We can defeat Ahaz of Judah to the south. Well, Ahaz and the people read it on Facebook, and they got, no, they didn't. They heard that Rezin and Pekah were coming against them to the, from the north. And the Bible says in chapter 7, in, in verse number 2, that they were shaking like the wind blowing through the trees. I mean, they were, they were concerned. Okay, so I tried to put it in our, in our day and time. What if it were this way? It was very clearly known, let's just say this, that China and North Korea were joining forces against the United States of America. That'd be bad. Am I uh, right? That'd be bad. That'd be bad. We would, we would be in dis possible despair. We would be concerned. I mean, this is a, two major powers with people at the leadership that's not thinking straight. There's other ways to describe that. If they join together, America might look for some ally. In fact, we may be in such terrible disarray and such concern that we might look to even another superpower that we normally get along with and maybe even look to somebody like, I don't know, maybe Russia. All right? So I'm just trying to put it into context. That's basically what Ahaz did. Ahaz was in such a bad situation, he thought, i got to get some help here. I'm telling you, the king of Judah. The king of Judah, who had followed his great-great-great-grandfather, David, who was the king of Judah, the previous king of Judah. I mean, Ahaz says, mercy, I've got to do something about this. And watch this. And when he was in trouble, instead of praying to God and asking God to help, here's what he did. Hey, Tiglath. He turned to Assyria. Tiglath, Pileser. He said, now I believe that you and with all of your military might, can defend us against Pika and Resin. I need some help. Through the prophet Isaiah, God said to Ahaz, don't be concerned about these two firebrands. In other words, these two pieces of wood that are about to burn out. Is everybody following me here? 
these two pieces of wood that are about to burn out. I mean, they're, you know, like when you, when you have a campfire and, and you're about, and you're breaking camp and there's just those two little logs that, that are just kind of fizzling out and maybe you go ahead and put some water on it. But I mean, it really, they'll burn out themselves. That's what God's saying about Reza and Pika. He's saying, listen, they're about to burn out anyways. Why are you concerned about them? I will take care of you. In fact, ask me a sign. And Ahaz says, I don't want to ask you a sign. Sounded all super spiritual and everything. He wasn't being super spiritual, friend. Here's what he was doing. He didn't think he needed God's help because they already had Tiglath's help. God said, I'll give you a sign. A virgin shall be with child. A virgin shall conceive and you shall call his name Emmanuel. In other words, here's what God is saying through the prophet Isaiah all those years prior to Jesus' birth. Emmanuel, by the way, means this. God is with us. Hey, listen, when things look really bad and you're in despair and it's, you're in darkness and you're in gloom and you don't know what to do, then just remember this. Even though things look bad, when God is your God, he'll take care of you. God is with us. And so they called his name Emmanuel. Hey, you're not alone in this battle today. And so here Ahaz was wringing his hands. What am I going to do? What am I going to do against, uh, against Rezan? And what am I going to do against Pekah? They joined forces and he went up to Assyria. And eventually that's going to cause him major trouble, friend. It will because when you and your, and your own ideas and your thoughts try to solve your own problems, then here's what you do. You just make matters worse. Let me tell you today what your biggest problem is and what all of our biggest problems is. It's this, it's a sin nature. I said, it's a sin nature. It's that we, we rebelled against God. Are oh, you listening to me here this morning? I'm, I'm trying to help everybody here through the word of God. Because listen, your biggest issue and your biggest problem is not the economy. It's not a change in your health. It's not necessarily what's going on in your family. It's not what's going on in the nation. It's not the chaos and the immorality of our day and time. All of that has a root. Here's the root. We've got a sin nature that's rebelling against God. Anything you do or try to do to fix your sin nature through through 12 steps or through joining a church or through being baptized or on and on through religious rituals. Here's what you're going to do. You're only going to make matters worse. Your only hope today is to turn to the Lord God Almighty. And that's what Isaiah was saying to him there. He's saying, listen, I realize it's a day of darkness. I realize it's a day of judgment. I realize that things are going on even in the northern part there in Zebulun and Naphtali. I know that there's judgment coming there. I know that there's been some, some initial outbreaks of judgment here. But listen, isn't it wonderful that in the place where judgment of God began to fall upon Israel, that that is exactly the place where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ began his earthly ministry in Galilee of the Gentiles and he began to show that in the midst of judgment and God's judgment and wrath on sin, there's hope through the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Maybe all the adult men could hear that too and say amen. Out of the mouth of babes. God can do some amazing thing with children. He said, oh, what can a child do? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You talk about an unlikely source. You might, if you were living in the days of, of Ahaz and you heard Isaiah preaching something like what I'm trying to preach today, and you would say, how's this going to happen? How shall that be? I mean, joy like in the time of harvest? I mean, have you looked around? Have you looked around? 
Have you, have you considered how bad things are? How can you say there's going to come a time when it's joy like in the time of harvest? Harvest means that it's over. Harvest means the hard work is done. Harvest means there's food on the table. Harvest means, man, we get to rejoice. Right? How can you say it's like, you know, when the war's over? You know, I think about after World War II, I mean, we still celebrate. We still see pictures in, in Hobby Lobby and other places like that of, of you know, uh, the soldiers that came home and, and in the streets of New York City. I mean, the celebration, like, the war's over. The war's over. Who's going to bring an end to the wars? No man can do that. Man's tried, but it's just temporary. But unto us, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And the government shall be on his shoulders. You, on his shoulder. Do you understand what it, what, really there's two parts here. Wait a minute. Isaiah was telling us what's going to happen. He wasn't telling us exactly when it was going to happen. See, oftentimes in the, in the prophecy, there may be a gap. It's like you're looking at, it's like you're looking at two mountains. All right, hang on, wait a minute. Sometimes I, I like the opportunity to go up to preach up at Treasure Mountain in Marble, Colorado, and it has five false peaks, which means this. You hike up to the first peak and you think, man, I'm almost there. And you get there and you realize, oh, wait a minute. There's four more. But at the time you may not even realize that there's four more, that you get to the top and you say, oh, wait a minute, there's the next peak. You get to that one and then you realize, oh, wait a minute, there's another peak. You get to that one and then there's another peak and another peak. You got one long day of hiking right there, friend. If you're hiking through the book of Isaiah, here's what you're coming to. You're coming to some mountain peaks. And you may think, oh, look at this. This is awesome. In fact, that's what the Jews did in their, in their time. Like when Peter was concerned about the Roman oppression, just like Ahaz in his time was concerned about Syria and, and about Israel. Peter and others were concerned about these filthy Romans that were oppressing us and, and, and weighing us down. I, I hope Messiah will come and he will deliver us. And so when they knew that Jesus was the promised son of Isaiah chapter 9 and and he was the son of man of Daniel chapter number seven and other prophetic passages that talked about the Messiah when they came. It's like this. They came to that first peak and they thought, we're here. Now we're going to have some, now we're going to have some peace. Now we're going to have some freedom because Messiah has come. What they did not realize is that there's another mountain peak behind Isaiah chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 9. Is everybody understanding what we're doing here? And as you see then, then you get to the top of that mountain peak and Jesus was saying, no, we're not there yet. If you allow me to use this as an analogy, there's another mountain peak that I must go to. Mercy, that actually is not just stretching it. That's right on. There's another mountain that I must go to. I said, there's another mountain and it's called Mount Calvary Amen. and it's prophesied in Isaiah chapter number 53. And if you just read through it casually, you'll read through there and you'll see that Jesus, who was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life and died in our place. And Isaiah prophesied that ahead of time. But that wasn't the end. You get to that mountain and you think that you come to the end, but then there's another mountain to it. And Isaiah chapter 61 and Isaiah chapter 9, all the way back to chapter 9 of Isaiah is saying this, the government shall be on his shoulders, but that would not be fulfilled at his first coming. It would be fulfilled at his second coming. And we're still headed towards that. And it doesn't matter how bad things get. I mean, if China does join up with North Korea and Russia, 
and whoever else they want to amass to themselves. And by the way, it's going to happen. All the nations that are surrounding the epicenter of Jerusalem and of Israel, have you noticed people don't really like Israel being there? Hey, we better stay a friend to Israel. God's a friend of Israel. God's going to take care of Israel. That little nation could not have survived without God through the, through the time of Bible days and into these modern times and into the future. When you read the book of Revelation, friend, you're reading what God's going to do in the nation Israel. When you read Romans chapter number 9, 10, and 11, God's saying, I'm not done with Israel. I'm going to do something still in Israel. There's a king coming and his name is Jesus. And he died for them. He came to his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave him power to become the sons of God. We had two individuals last week that walked the aisle saying, I'm lost. I, I can't save myself. I need to be saved. And they trusted Jesus as their savior. And in the midst of a day of gloom and despair, there's light. In darkness, there's light. And now I see the light. Now I see he is, friend. He is who he said he is. And the only hope we have in this despair is in the righteous rule of the glorious Son of God. The righteous rule of the glorious Son of God. Under us a child is born, under us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulder and his name. You see, when, whenever... Oh, mercy, there's so much here. I'm, I'm going to preach myself silly and just not silly actually into my right mind. But what I'm trying to say, there's so much that's built in here that we ought to rejoice in and not just go through the motions on. Because listen, we're talking about our salvation. We're, we're talking about being saved from sin and saved from sinners and saved from this wicked world. That's the only hope is in Jesus Christ and his name. And see, what I was getting to is whenever they wanted to honor a king, they would put multiple titles to that king. Like when David passed away, if you read in, in, in 2 Samuel chapter number 22, the, the, uh, the son of Jesse, the sweet psalmist of Israel, the, and then it's got about two more titles there that's slipping my mind right now. But in other words, it's, it's saying this is a significant individual. Well, here in Isaiah chapter 9, look what it's saying. His name. His name. The one that can help you. The one that can help this old wicked world. In fact, the only one that can help this old wicked world is called Wonderful. In other words, he's beyond my description here today. He's beyond what I can describe to you. Are you listening to me here this morning? He's beyond what I can be even begin to describe to you in terms of wonder and wonderful. When they heard him preach, they said things like this. I never heard anybody that could preach like he preached, that preached with such authority. When they saw his miracles, they've never seen it on this wise. A man brought from the dead, the blind they're made to see, the lame are walking around. They're, in fact, they're not just walking, they're leaping. He's the son of God, friend. He's wonderful. Wonderful counselor, counselor. You know what you need? You need somebody to counsel you. You need somebody to help you. You need somebody that has a plan and Jesus has a plan. Jesus will be your counselor. Jesus will help you when you don't know what to do. Jesus will help a nation that it doesn't know what to do. If a nation would only listen to him, his name shall be called wonderful counselor. How about this one? The mighty God. You say, that must be figurative language. No, not at all. It's actually literal language. The mighty God, because who else but God could have such a significant role in human history? The mighty God. Paul said, God was manifest in the flesh. We're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. God was manifest in the flesh. In the beginning, John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Son of God. The, the, the 
the glory of the only begotten Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the mighty God, the everlasting Father. You say, what does that mean, the everlasting Father? I thought He's the Son. Yes, He's eternally the Son. By the way, am I going too fast? By the way, there never was a time when he wasn't the son. It wasn't like at, at, in Bethlehem he became the son of God. No, watch this. Eternally he's the son. Eternally the son. So why does it say everlasting father? Well, we use that same terminology when we talk about things like this. The father of modern science. The father of modern medicine. The father of modern missions. William Carey, the father of modern this or modern that. The father of. It means it's the inventor. It's the one who did this. So here it is. The everlasting father. Literally, it's this way. The father of eternity. The father of eternal life. The one, okay, so back to the other analogies. When we say the father of modern medicine, we're talking about the one who gave us modern medicine. Here we're talking about the one who provided for us eternal life, the everlasting father. Amen. Yeah. The everlasting father, the prince of peace. In fact, you will not have peace. You will not have joy. You will not have contentment. You will not have righteousness until your life is under his rule. He's the prince of peace. The prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with just judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord shall perform this. It's not the zeal of man. The zeal of man will increase and then wane. It's the zeal of the Lord that won't give up. He's going to do this. Here's what I'm saying to you. Practically in your life, first of all, your salvation, totally up to Him. Except for your response to it in belief. Saying, God, I can't save myself. Please save me. The zeal of the Lord will perform that. And he did at Mount Calvary. And by way of his resurrection, he did everything necessary for you to be saved. From your worst enemy, you. But in the midst of the chaos of your life at times, you may wonder things like this. How are we going to get through this? You've had a financial reversal. Everything is turned upside down. How are we going to get through this? I realize that wouldn't represent any, everybody here, but if it represents anybody here, you know what the words despair can mean. How are we going to get through this? Your health can change like that. Family situation. What am I going to do? What are we going to do? In fact, Ahaz was successful at making a big old mess of his own life and affected others. You might have been as well. What are you going to do? Man, I blew it. I blew it. I made wrong choices, and now I'm reaping the consequences of those choices. That's how it works, isn't it? But thank God, Emmanuel, God with us. That even when, I'm talking about when he's your savior, when even you've made wrong choices, you have some of these, hang on, chapter 9, verse 1, nevertheless. <laughs> nevertheless, 
It may be bad right now, but nevertheless, and other people may not change. You can't control that, but you know who you are and you know what he wants you to do. You ought to get under his rule. He'll give you some nevertheless moments. Nevertheless, I know it's bad. I know it's dark. I know it's gloomy. In fact, I wish we had time. Chapter 8 says they keep seeking unto, unto wizards and they keep seeking unto uh, people there. It's listed in the latter part of chapter 8. In other words, even in their darkness, they were still doing dark things. You'd think, you'd think in a pandemic, they turned to God. You'd, th you'd think in, in, in oppression that they turned to God. But no, they keep doing what they've been doing. It just gets darker and darker and worse and worse. In fact, the Bible tells us it was going to get that way. Men shall wax worse and worse. And perilous times shall come. Yes, but so shall Jesus. He's coming. He came. And thank God, He's coming. Because with all the problems we got in this world, we can't legislate our way out of it. We can't vote our way out of it. There's only one solution, and that is for him to come and straighten all this up. And he will. And what applies in that big context also applies to your life. There's things he will want you to do and guide you to do, but ultimately, you're such a mess, you need him to straighten you out. That's me too. My life was in such a mess, I needed him to straighten me out. And thank God he did. I ha I've had several nevertheless moments. Nevertheless, a child. What an unlikely source. A child would be given and a son would be born. But the whole government would be upon his shoulders. He's the mighty God. Let's stand together here today. The righteous rule. of the glorious Son of God. Do you know Him today as your Savior? We're going to have an invitation today. If you're yet in darkness, if you're lost, if you die, what I'm saying to you is this, if you die today and you don't know what would happen to you, the Bible shows you how you can be saved. Born into God's family, Forgiven of your sin. I'm describing all the same thing. It happens in a moment of time when you repent, turning to Christ for salvation, believing Him. We're going to have an invitation. I'd, I'd like to invite anyone to come that does not know for sure that Jesus is your Savior. We invite you to come. And then those of you that are saved, but maybe today... This has described the nature and the makeup of your life or your decisions here lately and who you're thinking to turn to. You could turn to this person or that person. How about you do this today? Turn to none other than to the Lord. Amen. Now, God, we come to you this day. And truly, we found reason by application of Scripture to have joy like in harvest. And I think about when... The day of Pentecost was fully come and Peter preached the message and 3,000 were saved and they rejoiced and they praised you and they just kept getting together and they kept praising you and joy like in harvest came. It was like the end of the war. And it was because the war was fought for their soul already and was won at Calvary. Dear God, I love our country 
I'm concerned about the nature and the direction of our country, and we know that ultimately only you can turn it around. Concerned about our whole world saying, dear God, and like in the days of Isaiah, as well as in the days of Peter and the apostles, there's only one solution for all this, God, and it's your coming. And so we say with the apostle John, even so come, Lord Jesus. But in the meantime, dear God, as we live in this space between your two comings, there are personal and family issues that we deal with on a daily basis, and we need that same solution. So God, at our level, we ask you to help. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing today, page 257, Jesus is softly and tenderly calling to you. Would you come even as we begin to sing, the choir is gonna lead us. And as we begin to sing, would you just step out? God spoke to you about a spiritual need in your life. Would you come, come to him as we begin to sing?